I remember with great fondness the summer of 1963. That will take you back a few years. I had just completed my freshman year of college. And I had come home to live with my folks during the summer and to work. And to earn some money during the summer to go back to school in the fall. Only this particular summer was a little more unusual than others. Unusual in a number of factors. I had planned to transfer to a new college. So I would attend a new college in the fall than the one that I had just previously attended. I would commute to school. Instead of living in a dorm, I would live in an apartment and I would commute to school. I'd need a car. I would drive those vicious Detroit highways <laughs> as a young boy. And during that summer, I met Diane. And though she doubts me and questions me, it was love at first sight. Now, you say that doesn't happen, but it does happen. It did happen. And during that summer, I had a multitude of emotions that went through my life. Ranging from fear of the unknown going to a new place, a new school, a new city, new surroundings. Some feelings of sadness because I had decided during the summer that I would no longer participate in college sports. I had played football and basketball the previous year in college. And I decided that I could no longer do that and pursue my studies. And that would bring about a change in my life, kind of unknown, because I had participated in sports from just a young kid. And would Diane love me? Kind of an unknown? A lot of thoughts ran through my mind on the brink of something new. You've been there. You've had occasions in your lives when you faced something new, a move, a family circumstance, a change of occupation by your spouse or by you. Moving to a new city, you, you've experienced those kinds of emotions and those feelings, the doubts and the fears and the questions that come across your mind. That describes the children of Israel as they stood on the brink of entering into the promised land. God had promised them centuries previously to their forefather Abraham, I will give you this land and to your descendants. Someday you will come here and you will occupy this land and it will belong to you. And now they stood on the brink, on the edge of entering into that promised land. What thoughts must have flooded their minds? What will it be like? I wonder what will be there. How will we do it? How big is it? And such questions must have flooded their minds. As they stood at the brink of entering into the promised land, we find Moses recording for us how he prepared 
those people to go into the promised land. The whole book of Deuteronomy provides for us the wealth of preparation that Moses gave to the children of Israel prior to their going into the promised land. I'd like us to read just one portion of scripture. This serves kind of as a summary of the whole book of Deuteronomy. And what Moses said to his loved family, his nation, his people, to prepare them to go into the promised land. If you have some scriptures, you'll find our passage in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'll read just a few verses there that will serve as the setting for our study this morning. Because it provides for us a clear description of how Moses prepared the people to go into the promised land. We start reading in verse number 1 of chapter 5 when we read this. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face in the mountain, out of the midst of the fire where I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up into the mountain. Now drop down to verse number 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added, No more. And he wrote them on two tables of stone, and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness... While the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us, all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. This passage shows to us that as Moses prepared the people to go into the promised land, he reminded them of what took place 
40 years previously at Mount Sinai. We've examined that in previous studies and we've looked at it recorded from Exodus chapter 19 and we've seen what God told them on that occasion. He reminded them how he had brought them out of Egypt. They had served as slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt under a cruel pharaoh. And God had brought them out and brought them across the Red Sea on dry land. He had destroyed the Egyptian armies by bringing the seas back together again after they had crossed. He provided food for them. He provided manna. He provided water. And there at that mountain, God had reminded them of how he had redeemed them out of Egypt with a strong hand. And he showed to them his grace and his mercy and his compassion for them. He had displayed his omnipotence when he gave the plagues in Egypt that ultimately led to the Egyptians pushing them out. They had seen God work many wonders. And Moses reminds them of that day back at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, when God reminded them of what he had done on their behalf. And on that occasion, God reaffirmed with them the covenant that he had made with their forefather, Abraham. And he expanded it and explained it in more detail, what it would include. And he described for them their role that they would play in reaching the nations. They would become a royal priesthood, he called them. They would rise above all other nations. And they would provide a blessing and bring a blessing to all of the other nations. God gave them that role and that responsibility. Along with that, he gave them a requirement. And the requirement was his law. He said, I'm going to give you a law and you must obey me. If you will obey me in all that I tell you to do, I will bless you. And then God gave them the law. God wanted them to see how they fit into his eternal plan. That plan that he began back when he created all of the worlds. When he spoke them into existence, God had a reason for doing that. And that reason and purpose included his working through his creation, and specifically Adam and Eve, mankind, our originators, (laughs) to spread throughout all of the earth and to take to all of the earth his presence. So that God's presence would fill the earth through his creation. That all creation would know him and would worship him. And then we've recalled how Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against God. And God still wanted to institute and complete his plan. And he chose Abraham and his seed as the vehicle through which he would complete his plan. And God, through Moses, reminded the children of Israel of their involvement in God's plan and purpose. 
and they would bring about, bring into fruition his plan and purpose if they would obey. And so we see Moses reminding the children of Israel of their responsibility, of their role, of their requirement to obey God and his law, and thus participate in the culmination of God's plan for his creation. We also saw, as we read through our scriptures, that God gave them a law. He gave them rules and commandments, we read. The part of the scripture that I skipped, I perhaps shouldn't have skipped it, but for sake of time I I skipped over it. But the passage of verses that I skipped in Deuteronomy chapter 5 was Moses repeating to them the Ten Commandments. This is the law. God gave it to you back there at Mount Sinai. He didn't give it to anyone else. He gave it to you with the obligation and the requirement to fulfill and obey His law. And He reminded them of that law. This wasn't the only time in the book of Deuteronomy when they went over God's law. The rest of the book, Moses reinforces with them the commandments and the statutes that God had given to them to practice as they entered into the promised land. God's law that he presented to them, he gave it for a purpose and a reason. In order for them to fulfill their role and their responsibility as his royal priests, he demanded holiness. Now you will recall that when God first created Adam and Eve, He created them upright. I don't mean standing on two feet, although they did. But he created them righteous, upright, without sin, holy. They rejected that. They refused to follow the holy life that God had planted within them. And that aspect of God's image, they lost. Oh, they still had some of the other aspects of his image. They could reason, they could think, they had minds, they had emotions. But they lost the holy image of God that he had planted in them when he created them. They no longer had a standard. They didn't know how to live a holy life. They didn't know what God required of them in holiness. God gave them a law to point out to them... And he described for them a holy life. If you walk this way, you will walk in holiness. And so he gave them the law to help them see how they should walk and how they should live in holiness. At the same time, it would point out to them their sin. Because we know the... well. We should know the Ten Commandments. We may not know them all by heart. But we know quite a few of them by heart. We might fall to the temptation to lie and to steal and to murder. If we didn't know that God said, don't do that. That transgresses my law. That doesn't fulfill holy living. And so God gave the law not only to point out 
the practice of holiness, but to also provide a standard against which they could evaluate themselves and determine where they had sinned against God. God's law also included how to apply those Ten Commandments in everyday civil life and transactions and interactions with other people. Theologians call that the civil law. Then God also provided for them in His law a means by which they could bring sacrifices before God as an expression of their forgiveness and their repentance and their turning from their sin. As part of God's law, He designed for them a tabernacle where they could come and worship Him and where they could bring their sacrifices to atone for their sins. And there was a special room, a special section in that, te- in that temple, that tabernacle, where God said, I will be there. That spot, build for me. Because I will come down as a cloud and I will reside there. So that God made provision for them through His law, not only a definition of holiness, not only a standard by which they could judge themselves and determine their sin and thus come in repentance before God but he also made provision in there as to how he would come and actually walk among them and be with them and have his presence right in the middle of the camp because that's where they placed the tabernacle right in the middle of the camp it also provides for us a glimpse into the nature of God God doesn't lie. God doesn't steal. God doesn't commit murder. And the law provides for us a glimpse into the nature of God as well. In this fashion, God manifested himself to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai when he gave them the law and revealed aspects about himself contained within the law God provided a self-disclosure of himself at the same time we read in our verses quite a vivid description of that day on Mount Sinai didn't we the lightnings the thunders the voice such a frightful experience to the children of Israel in fact that they said Moses we don't dare come into the presence of God we fear for our lives you go you go for us and God will speak to you and then you come back and you tell us and whatever you bring to us from God we will follow and obey we read some very vivid descriptions of God's presence on Mount Sinai such descriptions as a thick dark cloud hovered over the mountain lightning flashing thunders roaring fire shooting out smoke and the people trembled as they stood around the mountain observing this display 
The ground shook. And the voice of God, it says it was like a trumpet that got louder and louder and louder and louder. Oh, what a display. God manifesting Himself to His people. Why did He do that? I guess I could follow that with a question that my father gave to me one time when I said, Why, Dad? And he said, Why not? Why not? That's God. It's His creation. Why not? Why couldn't He display Himself in that fashion? He can do as He pleases. So why not express Himself with great exuberance and sound and, and fury? And what impact do you think that had on the people? God had a dual purpose. Not only in manifesting Himself in this fashion that that displays some features of His nature and of His character, but also with a purpose designed that would impress the children of Israel to such an extent that they would obey, that they would follow, that they would love Him, that they would give Him respect and honor that He deserves. Back on that day, when He appeared to them in Mount Sinai, God provided for them a picture. A picture of redemption. A picture of reconciliation to God and what it entails. For God had brought them out of slavery, human slavery. That's what God does when He redeems us and saves us from the slavery of sin. Whosoever commits sin, we read in the scripture, is a slave of sin. God redeemed Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, human slavery, and that's what God does for us. When He redeems us, He redeems us from the slavery of sin. And it all began with a Passover sacrifice, the sacrifice lamb, and we looked at that a few weeks ago. And how they had to put the blood on the doors. And that served as a substitute for them. That sacrifice served as a substitute on their behalf. So that all those within that dwelling would survive the death angel. Who would pass over and destroy the firstborn in every home that did not have the blood. Jesus became the Passover lamb. And through Him and His sacrifice on behalf of people like you and me, we have a substitute. One who took the punishment that you and I deserve. Paid for it. That we might go free. All in the picture that God showed to them at Mount Sinai. He showed to them His grace because He had chosen them. He chose them out of all of the other nations. Why? Because they were handsome? Because they were brawny and strong? Because they were wise? Oh no. These people in Egypt, they suffered greatly and they came out like whipped puppies. God chose them because they loved them. 
And it's the same for you and me. God calls us out of His love and His grace. And He brought them out. What did Egypt do in order to help escape the slavery of Egypt? Nothing. God did it all. He brought them out. He destroyed the enemy. He provided the food. He provided the water. He brought them out by his own hands. The picture he used to describe me, he says, I bore you on eagle's wings. We've seen the pictures of the bald eagle and how beautiful it is. And The eagles have a, an unusual practice with their young. The nests, you know, hide high in the mountains. But when the little eaglet attains sufficient strength and maturity, the mother eagle pushes it out of the nest. Oh, way up, hundreds, thousands of feet up into the air. And that bird begins to tumble and to fall. Hasn't learned how to fly yet. And what does the mother eagle do? Comes down underneath. Comes down underneath her young Bears it on eagle's wings. That's what God did. And that's the picture of what God does for us in salvation. He does for us what we do not have the ability to do on our own. And Moses reminded the children of Israel, as they sat and stood on the brink, kind of overlooking the Jordan River, seeing that promised land over there and wondering what awaited them. Remember, what God did in Mount Horeb. Remember His law. Remember how He brought you out of Egypt and how He cared for you and protected you and preserved you. Remember that. One of the beauties of Scripture that I have just recently come to appreciate has come to me to realize how things in the Old Testament echo and re-echo throughout Scripture. They don't stand in isolation. They provide for us great lessons on their own, but they provide for us echoes and re-echoes throughout Scripture. Their impact flows, and they provide a picture of the future. And this occasion where Moses spoke to the children of Israel and reminded them of God's provision for them at Mount Sinai provides for us a picture of the one who was to come who would redeem us from sin. The Redeemer, the promised one that God promised to to Adam and Eve in the garden, that one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. He would come through the line and lineage of Abraham through the children of Israel until ultimately that champion would come. And the Old Testament scriptures give us multitudes of descriptions of that one that God had promised. And we find it all fulfilled in Jesus. He fulfilled the promise from the Garden of Eden, the promise to Abraham, the promise to the children of Israel at Mount Horeb, the reminder to the children of Israel as they 
stood ready to go into the promised land and centuries after he would provide additional promises. Jesus fulfilled them all. Every one of them. He fulfilled that law that God gave at Mount Horeb. That law of Ten Commandments that you and I cannot fulfill. He did. Every one of them. Without fail. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for people like you and like me. He did it as a substitute. And when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the sacrifices that God had designed and promised to the children of Israel that if they would fool him, he would forgive their sin. But they were just temporary. They were just the blood of goats and sheep and birds. They could not completely satisfy. A temporary answer, yes, but not a full, complete answer until Jesus came and he fulfilled all of those sacrifices. One time. On the cross. On behalf of people like you and like me. Jesus promised before he ascended up into heaven, he promised, he said, I will send a comforter who will come and take my place, the Holy Spirit. And he will come and he will live within you, this Holy Spirit. And when he comes, the Father and I will come with him and we will take up our abode. We will come to live within people like you. So that you might have our presence permanently. Not just localized at the center of the camp. Not just a presence that might come and and maybe sometime because we, we failed might leave. No, it would come and reside permanently. Never to leave. Never to leave. Always having the ability to carry about in everyday life the ongoing presence of God in all that you do. A day still awaits us. That day we call the day of consummation. The day when the plan that God put into effect in the Garden of Eden when He created all things that plan that he placed upon the shoulders of the children of Israel to participate in it and to help bring it to pass at which they failed, that plan which Jesus fulfilled and made available to people like you and like me so that we could participate in that plan as God had called the children of Israel to do, only now we have the indwelling presence of God to help us actually do it And that plan will come to conclusion. It will work. God will fulfill His plan. That day will come when all of the earth will know the presence of God. When He will rule righteously over all of the nations. And there is coming a day when we will stand before the throne of Christ and it says the gathering will include people from every tribe 
every tongue, every nation that has ever existed throughout all of the centuries. And they will rejoice with one voice, giving praise and honor and glory to the Lamb, Jesus, because He is worthy. God used a phrase with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai that I want to remind you. God said to the children of Israel, as He reminded them of all that He had done for them, He said, Now therefore, now therefore, go and obey Me. Now therefore, go and fulfill your responsibility as a royal priest that I just gave to you. Now therefore, trust Me. Obey me. I give that same reminder to you this morning. Now, therefore, you have heard what God has done. What he did in the past and what he has provided for us in Jesus, his son. Now, therefore, now, therefore, heed the call of Jesus who said, repent and believe. Turn from your self-reliance turn from your self-righteousness turn from your self-dependence and trust me for I have come as a gift of the Father to provide salvation for all who believe now therefore I call upon you today trust him obey him believe him And you will experience the reality in your own life of the indwelling presence of God throughout all of the daily activities and events of your life. And one day you will join that multitude before the throne giving thanks, honor, and praise to the one who made it all possible. Jesus, the Son, the Lamb. I pray that the Spirit of God will work that in your life, in your life, in each of you, in all of your lives, that He will bring that to pass in your life. Let's close with prayer.